Tucked away from the city, Raccoon Creek is your go-to golf course. Their location in Littleton provides more than just a beautiful golfing experience. They have the perfect setting for year-round events with unbelievable views. Just a fun place to golf. It's a different atmosphere. It's a really nice course and it's fast greens. They have a good crew there, so it's always in good shape. They're having uh, comedy shows. They got like this really cool fire pit in the back now. It's changed a lot. There's a whole, whole new patio that has like the best views in Colorado. I think you can just see the mountains, you see the golf course. You know, kind of like Cheers. Everybody knows your name and your handicap. That was Todd. He's been golfing at Raccoon Creek for years now, and it's his favorite golf course in the area because of the environment that they've created. Raccoon Creek has embraced technology, adding golf board rentals to their course, as well as updating their golf carts to be equipped with GPS that provides score updates of sporting events and live scoring for outings and tournaments. They also have an app where you can schedule tee times, receive happy hour specials, and stay up to date on all of their upcoming events. Download their app today and receive a free bucket of balls or check them out online at raccooncreek.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. Welcome into another episode of the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We got me on the host again. This time we're going to be talking about the collective bargaining agreement in the NHL. A whole lot of facts coming at you here for a bunch of stuff that a lot of the time isn't that clear on the surface. AJ, how are you and you're ready to dig into this? I'm good, man. Um, this is this is one of those shows that I promised multiple people would happen at some point during the summer, because during the year we get into a lot of conversations about uh, CBA related minutia, and not everybody knows what everything is off the top of their head. So I've had a couple of requests. Hey, when you guys have an opportunity, could you guys uh, explain what some of this stuff is? And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, it is not going to be the most exciting show that we've ever recorded, but informational, you know, the good, good, good education for people who are unfamiliar with certain things. And this is what happens in the summer. Sometimes we're going to talk about beach volleyball and sometimes we're going to talk about the CBA. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really good groundwork to to come from. So when you get into the conversations about, why this player's contract works out the way that it does or, or what mm-hmm. they're arguing about when we, we get to bargaining agreement discussions. Yeah. There's a lot of information out there and it's hard to take it all in. I can personally say, even I'm not perfectly familiar with some of the, the parts of the CBA because there's just so much to it, but we're going to do our best here to get through most of the, the pertinent information yeah, well, and with uh, with so uh, with with opt outs coming up yeah. this year um, in the CBA for both the players' union and the league, um, it's all relevant stuff. Yeah, I agree fully on that one. It's there's a ton of to get through. I do not envy anyone that has to sit down in a room, whether it's the players association or the NHL side and, and go through line by line, a document this long with this many pieces to it. Uh, you might even say that that would make me want to have a, a beer or two. So it's time to take a second and acknowledge the Breckenridge brewery, nice. the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer established in, in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado, you've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic amber ale. 
but they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky. I'm sure by now you guys have heard of it, and you guys will love it. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they are calling this a light-hearted Kolsch Ale, but for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for the Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer as well, and make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on BSN Denver. We just launched it last week now, I think it was, so you'll be able to see all of the events we have planned, and we will be drinking those beers like the Strawberry Sky at all of them. So please RSVP and have a good time. All right, so with that, let's not beat around the bush here. Let's jump right into the big one, the one that everyone in the NHL Players Association is their sticking point in the upcoming discussions, and that is escrow. AJ, can you outline escrow for us a little bit? Yeah, basically uh, an escrow account, it's like a third-party account, right? Um, So uh, players uh, have it taken out of their paychecks, and they, they pay into this account. Uh, and the number, the percentage of it changes every year uh, based on a, a variety of factors, which, of course, we'll get into here. But essentially, this there's this escrow account, and then players pay into it, like, say it's 11%. They Okay, 11% of their paycheck goes into this thing. Uh, and then after the season ends and the NHL tallies up all of their hockey-related revenue, and actually takes, like, two years to do, um then they they cut the players a check for how much uh they actually got so right. um one of the big issues when it comes to one of the reasons why players are so frustrated is because the escrow number has gotten so high in recent years in the you know in the 14 15 16% range and they're only getting 3 or 4% back uh, a couple years later. So they're paying into this thing and, you know, 12% of their paycheck just disappears. Yeah. And, and that's really hard to swallow. I, I think the official numbers in the current CBA is it's supposed to be a 50, 50 split of the, uh, their and league revenue between the players and the owners. Right. And first of all, if you're that far off where you have your players, investing up to 15, 16% into this escrow account and your revenues are coming out to not even close to them getting that money back, then that's obviously a hard pill to swallow for the players. But even if it was a closer number and more accurate, you're just withholding money from them for a couple years to do this. And, you know, when the players, I'm sure, especially the younger ones, sign these big contracts, they expect to get paid what they signed for. And all of a sudden, some of that is disappearing. Absolutely. And, you know, they they obviously, because they're in a certain tax bracket, they pay more in taxes yeah. uh, than an awful lot of people. And, uh, you know, they also they have to pay an agent fee. And then they've got, you know, some of them will have a publicist and some of them will have this and that. Everybody's trying to get their piece for sure. (laughs) Right. And then, so you look at, you look at Eric Johnson making $6 million a year, you know, and he's, he's taking home like four of that, you know, and because such a large percentage of it is just disappearing. Um, And one of the issues that, that exists with the, with the escrow account and the percentage of it is that there's a, there's a thing in the CPA called the escalator clause. Yeah. And this is triggered by players. Uh, every year, the players vote whether or not to, to trigger the escalator clause, which would increase the CBA or the CBA, the salary cap by 5%. And right. if, if the salary cap goes up more organically, then that's fine. Then, then it doesn't touch the escrow account. But if they trigger the escalator clause, it increases the amount of escrow that players pay into. So it's a double-edged sword here because higher salary cap means higher salaries for all the players, right? We've seen it this this year with uh, Panarin joining uh, the eleven million dollars, you know, per per year. He as a wing, not even as a center, but as a as a wing. Skinner um, signed for nine, Hayes right? Signed like for seven, <laughs> we've seen some big ticket contracts this summer, uh, which we expected to see because the 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 cap went up the way that it did. 
And one of the reasons that the cap does go up is because players can trigger that escalator clause. It goes up and the, um, the amount that players have to pay into the escrow account also increases. And if the hockey-related revenue doesn't also increase accordingly, then, they, then they're paying into this escrow account that they're not even going to come close to getting back. But at the same time, if they vote against triggering the escalator clause, then they're taking money out of a lot of guys' pockets, including their own. Yeah. So it's it's that double-edged sword. And so what they're trying to do is get it one one of their one of their focuses in the next round of CBA negotiations is to remove the escrow account and get it so that it's just a 50-50 split. Yeah, and right. the salary cap will go up, you know, will will go up or down based on the actual revenue and this escalator clause uh business will more or less just fall by the wayside as they don't you know players players don't want to continue to pay into this uh but they've got to keep making the decision here between do we do we raise the salary cap or not that's that's the players are like look this isn't our job right the players just want to go out there and play and get paid what they're worth right and the players association it's their job to represent them and get them what they're worth and on the one hand, you see PK Subban signing for nine and a half million, and on the other, you see players signing for for way below what they're worth. <laughs> so, yeah, Kevin LeBanc. Yeah, so it's somewhere in between sometimes, but it, it ends up being kind of a complicated issue as well because the NHL as a league does use revenue sharing throughout the teams. So, when there's a game in Florida for the Panthers that nobody shows up to that's hurting the league's entire bottom line. It's not just hurting yeah. the Panthers. So it, the effects there aren't, they seem like they're to each team individually, but they're really not when it comes down to it. And it's even affecting the players because of how this is set up. It is. And this is, I would say this is the central issue going into the next round of CBA negotiations. And I mentioned earlier in the segment that uh, I believe they have opt outs this September. Yeah, uh, and so they the the players association, uh, the players union, and uh, the the league each have an opt out. I believe it's this September, in which if they both opt out, they it's essentially an agreement from both of them to tear up the last couple of years of this current CBA. Right. The way that we've seen uh, some of the contracts signed this summer, players are hedging their bets. They are looking for big bonuses. Guaranteed uh, lockout money, basically. Yep. They're looking for their. That's why we've seen the explosion in signing bonus money, is uh, because players are hedging their bets against lockouts, um, and they don't know. Hey, there could be a lockout if they opt out of the CBA. Then there's a lockout in you know 2020. If there's uh, if they wait till the end of this, this this current CBA and then have a lockout, then we're talking 2022. And so we're seeing players with huge signing bonuses those two years specifically, taking less in salary, but getting a, you know, their teams are cutting them an $8 million check on July 1st of that year, regardless of whether or not there are going to be games played or not. Uh, and teams continue to agree to this. And I would say that, that that's a sign that teams are expecting to have business as usual. They're expecting games to be getting played. Yeah, uh, because they're agreeing to all these signing bonus contracts, uh, and you know maybe they're kicking the can down the road, and that's what that's all about. But to me, it looks like a good sign that teams are they know they know what the players are doing, they know that they're hedging their bets and they're saying, hey, these guys are just trying to make sure. But there's there are several hundred million dollars worth of signing bonuses now across the league to be paid out. Uh, on July 1st of these potential lockout years, regardless of whether or not games get played. So ownership has all the reason in the world to try to avoid uh, a lockout and players have done a good job of putting them, putting owners in that position where they, you know, they got smart about it. They said, Hey, you want my services. You want me to continue to, to play for your team. This is the cost of doing business right now. And, it's it's a good compromise because it really forces both sides to say, hey, 
we we want to get this done. We don't want to miss games. Yeah, and I definitely think there's a bit of a stigma there that's putting pressure on the NHL as well. This is a league that has had three lockouts in the past 25 years, and it's the only one of the big five that has lost an entire season. Mm-hmm. So they're more than any of the other leagues – there's going to be a bit more vitriol about them if they aren't playing games when it comes time to to get the CBA work done. As far as the abs are concerned, I think there's no doubt we'll see some of this in Miko Rantanen's contract. It will be interesting to see how Comfer's contract shakes out. Does he try and go for a longer-term deal with maybe a little bit of signing bonuses? Obviously, mm-hmm. significantly less money than Rantanen, but how they work it out there. And then the big news of today, it won't affect Burakovsky's current contract at all. Yeah. Yeah, it won't uh, It won't, It won't. won't touch it at all. Um, I... It'll be interesting, I think, is yeah. where we should probably leave that, just because... We'll see um, exactly what they plan to do. <laughs> yeah, how they how they approach it. You know, Mike Liute is in an interesting. Uh, Rantanen's agent is in an interesting situation this summer because he's also got Patrick Line as an unsigned RFA, and so yep. he's got a couple of a couple of guys he's looking out for, and that's that's big time. Time uh, to make for, your money right now. <laughs> right. Um, if both of those guys sign two-year deals at, at higher AAVs, but not, you know, like a, if Rantanen gets $7 million or whatever on a yeah. two-year deal, uh, instead of the potential, like, $9 million he could ask for on a long-term deal, you know, that's they, – they'll be asking that question. You know, what's it, what's it worth? Because uh, – with with the salary cap expected to go up, yeah, especially with Seattle, yeah. with Seattle coming in in two years, uh, players are kind of put in this awkward position of you always want to get what you're worth uh, and you want to get paid today when you absolutely can, but knowing that there might be you know there's a carrot there there's there's oh man this might be a way bigger payday. Uh, Two years from now, you know, Ranton, it could be, oh, he could, he could get 9 million on a long-term deal this summer. He could wait two years and get 12 or 13 million, depending on the cap and how productive he is. It's, it's so tough to predict though, right? This year we were expecting the cap to be something around 83 million and it ended up coming in a million and a half less than that. As we mentioned, some of the discussions with the escalator were part of that. Yep. So well, and and part of the reason that the this year and next year are are likely going to be flat, yeah. Uh, in terms or or when I say flat, like very little salary cap growth, is because the league is wanting to take a look at it. What what is you know what is it? It's it's a very interesting conversation because the NHL salary cap has never really gone down. It flattened out once since its inception, and then part of that was because of the lockout year. But it's never gone down, and part of that is just inflation. It's going to continue to go up. What happens when things aren't coming together quite as well for the league, especially if they can't keep a flux of money coming in like they have with Vegas coming in and now Seattle, that really, really boosts the salary cap up. And when they don't have that, will we see it start to be limited? Yeah, it's uh, the effects of all this is all going to be important to monitor. For sure. I, I, I mean, think this, there's this is what shapes major decisions made every single year. Absolutely. And that and eventually they will have to get to the new CBA. And I'm really curious to see how many years they agree to there, because it seems more and more that they they're getting shorter and there's more opt out opportunities. So who knows how long it'll last. One thing I think is going to come up in the next CBA that I'd like to to ask you about just your quick opinion on before we get out of here in segment one, um, uh, contract length. Yeah. Do you think that they should lower it again? Because 
you know, before the last CBA, uh, they that's when all these 15-year deals, 12-year deals were getting signed with all the extremely low salaries at the end of them that, you know, these guys, they, they're signing until they're 43 years old. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're seeing Vancouver pay the price for that right now with Roberto Luongo being the first major cap, uh, cap recapture penalty being handed out. You know, I'm actually pretty comfortable with contract lengths where You're they good are. With seven, eight years. Yeah, I, I don't mind the contract lengths. I, I think the money is fine. They had already put things in place. You're now limited to, I think it's a 35% change in the amount you can pay someone from year to year. So you can't mm-hmm. do anything stupid, like just add a million dollar year on the end. Yeah. The problem for me there is the RFA to UFA change age. I think they could make that a little bit younger. So right now, um, just to just to clear this up, right now they they use the seven twenty seven rule, yeah. where you either have seven pro years, um, or you turn twenty seven. Correct, and, and then you're eligible for unrestricted free agency. So you get so uh, a guy like Kale McCarr's case, for example, uh, the Abs will have his rights for seven years. Which I think lines up to twenty seven for him anyway. It does, yeah. Um, if they if they sign Byram and Byram plays this first year, you know he'll he'll have UFA rights younger than um, most guys because he'd be twenty five, I think, when he became a UFA. Then right, and you're looking at something similar for for Rantanen, and it would have been McKinnon and all those guys yeah. too. Um, so it's it's seven seven years or twenty age twenty seven. Um, until you get to to UFA, I also would like to see RFAs get paid a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Because um, those that's really the prime of most of those careers. Yeah, absolutely. The they say the average prime NHL age is twenty four to twenty five now, and the that's the peak. They keep up within like ten percent of that five years or more either direction. But it, the league is getting younger and we're seeing how much teams are taking advantage of ELC and RFA contracts now. And yeah. It's time to get them a little bit more money. I, I certainly agree with that. I think what the bridge I, is coming back, man. Yeah, it, it certainly seems to be. There are a lot of players have started moving towards that. If you're not really the, the peak peak echelon of, of NHLers. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's in their best interest. We look at the current RFA class um, and I think it's in a lot of these guys' interests to to wait. If they're not going to take a long term deal, teams teams are like, okay, hey, we'll give you eight years, but you got to give us a little bit of a break on the AAV. You know, we're not going to give yeah. you twelve million dollars and eight years, right, but we'll right. give you we'll give you ten million ten million dollars for eight years instead. And by year three, that contract looks like an absolute steal. I mean, look at how many how many long term contracts signed that were totally appropriate the day that they were signed that are already looking right. I mean, everybody's favorite, Ryan O'Reilly. Would you pay seven and a half million dollars for Ryan O'Reilly today? Absolutely. Right. And even that, I still think that's too much money for him, and it's fine. Right, exactly. And like, if he's gonna be a seventy, if he's gonna be a seventy-point guy moving forward, uh, for the for the rest of that contract, paying him seven and a half million dollars is easily worth yeah. it. If he's more of like that fifty to sixty-point guy that he had been in Buffalo, um, it's a fair question yeah. to wonder whether or not that's worth it. But your point is, is that seven and a half is gonna continue to get better as the cap goes right. up. Exactly, and. Like I said, with Kevin Hayes just making seven million, even if O'Reilly's scoring fifty-five points, all of a sudden seven and a half doesn't look too bad there. And yeah. that is actually a conversation we'll get into more next week. I believe mm-hmm. we'll be talking about some of those contracts in the NHL that kind of make you stop and go, "Whoa!" Oh, well, and but, even even Evgeny Malkin, thirty-two yeah, years yeah. old, making nine and a half million, and that's still upper echelon money. But now there are a handful of guys making more money than him. And he's a point per game guy across a thousand games. Like he's a, he's a hall of fame caliber player. Yeah. And Artemi Panarin's making a couple million more per year than he is now. 
Right. It's... You know, Leon Dreisaitl signed for eight and a half a couple of years ago, and everybody was like, oh, my God, are you serious? And and now I look think... at it. 105-point season. He had 50 goals last year. Would you pay eight and a half for that? Yes, of course. <laughs> so I think I think what, what we're going to see is we're going to see, you know, Connor McDavid at 12 and a half million per is still – he's still making mad cash. Yeah. He doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, in that in the life of that contract, he is going to make so much money in that contract. I mean, it's a hundred million dollar deal, and then he's going to turn around and sign another hundred million dollar deal when he's done. So he's in the rare position of not having to worry about it. But basically, all these other guys that are signing long term deals are are finding that by the end of them, they're not paid anywhere close to appropriately anymore. Sure. It, it, the modern NHL, I think the players especially have, have learned with the salary cap, it's always gone up, like I said. So if you wait a little bit, there's always an opportunity to make a whole lot more money. Right. I mean, I think the smartest thing for players to do uh, that are of that caliber might be to just take two-year deals. Treat it like the NBA. Yeah. Just get your money two years at a time and, and make mad bank with the max contracts. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, Kevin Durant just blew out his Achilles and won't play next year. And that dude is still going to be on a max contract. Yeah, exactly. Like he's still got, Oh, what's that? The nets gave him like $140 million over the next couple of years. Yeah, like, okay. Silly money. And <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've talked about the, the higher echelon of what players are making enough. So in segment two, we're going to take a look at some of the players that probably aren't making nearly that much with things like QOs and, and stuff like that. But one thing I can say for certain is that a new CBA would definitely be game changing. So nice. it's, it's time to tell you about some game changing nice. coffee here. <laughs> Strava craft is the CBD enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible. So check them out. I'm sure you already have, but this CBD infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, it has helped decrease anxiety, you name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more for our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. That's going to do it for a long segment one, and we'll be back in segment two. Welcome back into the second segment of the BSN Avalanche podcast. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We're going to talk about a little bit more of the news of the day here. Let's start off with qualifying offers. Burakovsky just signed his at three and a quarter million for one year. That is on the much higher end as far as a qualifying offer is concerned, AJ. And it's a little bit easier with the more expensive ones. The minimum is just paying them what they made this past season. Yeah, it's definitely an expensive uh, qualifying offer, given that he just put up a 25-point season. But when he signed that, uh, speaking of bridge deals, when he signed that bridge deal with Washington, he was uh, on an upward trajectory. More of a 35-point player. <laughs> yeah, and so they were they were feeling like, hey, he's going to be worth it a little bit more uh, by the end of that contract. So, um, you know. He went from a he went from a two point two five salary in year one of that deal, which was obviously a nice hefty raise from his ELC, to a three point two five last year, and that made his QO a three two five because that's how QOs work. Yep. Uh, it's the poison pill that we saw San Jose give themselves with Timo Meyer's four year contract. Yeah, with a ends... ten million dollar end yeah. there. <laughs> so he'll have at the end of that fourth year when they tender him a qualifying offer. It'll have to be for ten million dollars. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, so we're talking about three, two, five right now in four years. San Jose's like, mm-hmm, ten million dollars. <laughs> so they better hope they better hope Timo Meyer is really, really good. Because so, that'll be interesting if they're you know who knows what their situation looks like, right? But like if he gets no better and he's still like a a thirty thirty guy, like solid, but not ten million dollars. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him uh, if they if they tender him the QO or if 
uh, they know and sign him to something else to see if he's well, to stay. Yeah. I'm, you can tender him the QO and still sign him to a long-term deal. You just keep sure. his rights. Right, of uh, But he'll always have the opportunity to just be like, no, you're going to give me $10 million and I'll take my <laughs> chances and go UFA next year, sucker. Exactly, right. So they've, they've actually put themselves in an interesting position there because – uh, then if you don't tender him the QO, he just becomes a UFA, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is like, okay, that's not what you wanted either. Um, no, so that's, certainly not. that's one of the more fascinating decisions, uh, that they have made, uh, this, this entire summer. I mean, that four year deal for, for Meyer at six mil per is a great deal. He's a really good player and he'll, he's already worth that money. Uh, going through his prime, he'll he should be easily a discount. But for that ten million, especially given how they live on the edge of the of salary cap hell every year, um, with their competitive window and the way that it is, it's it's certainly uh, one of those interesting stories to keep an eye on in four years. Right. And and to be clear, these are very much edge cases when it comes to qualifying offers. Most of the time, it's more like the Randon situation where. Okay, here's your qualifying offer just to keep your rights. We're going to pay you way, way more than that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. Like, we're, we'll are we give you a qualifying offer coming off your ELC of 925000 Actually, his was, like I think, eight ninety four, and yeah. uh, And then he'll, you know, today is the deadline. He won't. He obviously won't accept that. And uh, he'll wait for him to get the big monies. Yeah, of course. Where, where you use qualifying offers more are in guys that are usually playing a little bit deeper in your lineup, making significantly less money. Oftentimes it's, it's designed for players that are making less than a million dollars just to run the numbers for you here. Anyone making less than 660,000, their qualifying offer must be 110% of that salary uh, for players making between that and a million. It has to be 105%. So it's, it's to help increase the pay rate for those guys that, that maybe aren't making nearly as much money in the nhl yeah uh we saw this a couple years ago too um, yeah. in the ryan o'reilly offer sheet yep that's what calgary did to that essentially forced colorado's hand yeah. after that deal ended uh right. so that that guaranteed ryan o'reilly would get a hefty raise no matter what um he got that the second year of of the offer sheet that he signed uh, gave him a six and a half million dollar salary, which meant the QO had to be that. Yeah, so he, the Avs were backed into a corner a bit with that. Yeah, and they they ended up on a two year deal worth six million per. Um, but that's that's how teams like to use those QOs as that's that's how they either weaponize them or set the player up for success in the future in order to get a deal today. Right, and. And what often comes with these QOs is what type of contract is it? Is it a one-way? Is it a two-way? And depending on the age of the player, can you move them through waivers and actually take advantage of it if it's a two-way? Things like that. For the one-way, two-way, it's actually quite simple. I, I hear a lot of people mess this up because of the EA Sports games, which got it wrong. Um... <laughs> Two-way doesn't automatically mean that you can pass through without having to go to waivers to go down yeah. to the minors. It That's not how it works. All that one and two-way mean is, is a one-way deal means you make the same amount of money regardless of what league you're playing in. Mm -hmm. A two-way deal means you make a different amount in the minors compared to if you're playing in the NHL. Yeah, and that's all it is. It's purely money. Right. It has nothing to do with anything else at all, ever. At yep. all. I still see, like, I got it a couple, like, like four years ago. I understood why people were still confused by it. But it's been a long time since that's been the case. Um, so one way, two way is now, you know, and has been for a while now. It's, it's purely money based. That is it. Yep. Nothing else. It is all about how much the money may, um, the money is in different leagues. And we talked about this in previous shows. We've seen the Avs use their willingness to spend money to build a good AHL team uh, by giving out high-end AHL contracts to players. You know, sure. uh, NHL minimum six. What is it? Six hundred, six fifty. 
and yeah. the abs are now paying some of their AHL guys 350 400 450 they're making just under um NHL minimum to be AHL guys and that's i mean that's great for them absolutely and as the team if you have the money to spend and, and you're willing to invest especially when you're in a situation where you have the eagles just up the road to make them good as well it none of that counts against the cap so great Right. Yeah. And even that number has gone up. Yeah. It's what, nine and a quarter now? I don't know. It might be more than that even. It's it's actually it's a little over a million dollars now. Uh oh, there if, you the, go. if the if the abs were to bury uh either Barbaria or Kanadan, they'd only be on the hook cap wise for like three hundred K. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it's pretty easy to, to get guys plenty of money down there if you're willing to spend the actual cash. Yeah, and that's where that's where richer teams can take advantage of their. That's where they have the financial advantage. Yeah, for you sure. want a you want a good high end like third goaltender that's willing to 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 be there for you. Like, there you go. Give that guy five hundred thousand to go play in the AHL, uh, and him like, and let him know like, hey, this is the plan. Yeah, you can weaponize that in that way because you know the salary cap means you can only spend so much money. So the super rich teams can't just go ham otherwise toronto would have signed mitch marner weeks ago right it it's very easy for for the rich teams to build out their ahl squads and things like that compared to the nhl salary cap that they have to dance around yeah but you mentioned mark barbario and and kevin Connaughton. those are two players that would have to pass through waivers to go down now in their case the Avs might not be super sad if one of them got claimed off of waivers. But on the other hand, we saw them go all of last year dancing around the 10 game mark to make sure Graves would not qualify to having to go through waivers to mm-hmm. keep him around. So if we want to go into that a little bit more and, and just what the minutia of, of waiver eligibility a little bit there, we can jump into that. Yeah, so waivers is actually, I would say, probably my weakest part of the CBA. I don't know what it is about waivers that drives me insane. But basically, uh, waiver eligibility has to do with the age that you sign your NHL contract and how many NHL games played. Yep. So if you're an 18-year-old, so Byram, we'll use Byram as the example here. If he signs his ELC... Uh, and and plays the entire year in the in the AHL or I'm sorry in the NHL, he's still eligible for waivers even though he played the whole year there. He would either have to wait five years from the time he signed his NHL contract, or he would have to play 160 NHL games in order to create that waiver eligibility. Yep. So and those those numbers change uh, and as go down yeah. as they get older. So. If you're 19 years old, instead of five years like it is at 18, it's four years, although the 160 games remains. At 20 years old, it's three years from signing the NHL contract. So that's the most common signing age is 20 years old. And uh, ELCs are three years in length. So you basically have until your ELC uh, or 160 games played, whichever, whichever happens first. And we're seeing that with the abs right now with A.J. Greer. Yeah, finished, the, finished off his ELC. Uh, he's got his three years done. Now he's going to have to be waiver eligible next uh, after training camp. Correct. And if you're hitting the the games played mark, especially the the 160 mark, it, it gets a little bit less if you sign older. But the waiver yeah. isn't really an issue for those players because they're clearly NHL caliber, and right. like they almost never get sent down after that point. Yeah, you're not sending Nathan McKinnon down in in year three. Right. Exactly. So, so that's not really <laughs> that as big of an issue. The older ages, like I said, it is a little bit more. Anton Lindholm would actually have been affected by this if he does end up signing this year and sticking around mm-hmm. because he is over the 60 NHL game mark now. Well, and the interesting part for me is older players. We saw this with yeah. Pavel Francouz last year. Yep. He had his one-year deal, uh, but he the Avs were able to freely send him through uh, the process because it was his first first yeah. year, but he was older than 25. Right. So he had to wait one full year in order for him to be eligible to be claimed on waivers. So 
if for whatever reason they don't like what they see out of Fran Souza training camp this year and they wanted to send him down for the first time, he would have to go through waivers. He did not last year Correct. because it was his first it was his first year. And for all players all players who are twenty five or older, they have to wait one year until they are waiver eligible. Yeah, and I think there's no doubt in my mind someone would claim Francis if they tried to send him down unless he just looks terrible or something, but um, maybe. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, a lot of a lot of teams. The thing with claiming a guy, and we've we've gotten very comfortable with this uh, in Colorado because the Abs have been one of the most active all the time. waiver yeah. claim teams. A thing with claiming a guy is you can't just claim him and then send him down. You have to keep him on your NHL roster, right? So, uh, and then that's where the ten games or thirty days, whichever happens first. Um, before they have to, before they're eligible to be sent uh, down to your minor league team. So, like last year when they claimed Marco Dano, they had to wait and either he had to play ten games or they had to wait thirty days. Uh, and then as soon as he was eligible, they sent him back down, and the Jets said thank you very much and reclaimed him. There's a little caveat there too. When they get reclaimed by the team who they were claimed from, they can then send them immediately to the minors. Right. So, so if it's if it's like Dano last year or um, Chris Wagner a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. The Ducks did that. Yeah. Where the uh, the claiming team, the your team sends a guy through waivers, he gets claimed by somebody else, and they reclaim him later on. Uh, they're able to send him. They were able to send him immediately to the HL if they wanted to. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting little wrinkle that just in that one specific situation. Right. And and looking at the Avs roster, we kind of already mentioned Barbario and Connaughton. There's a decent chance one of them will end up passing through. Uh, you also have Ryan mm-hmm. Graves, Kelly Rosen is not waiver waiver eligible. We've mentioned that a few times and and that could be a reason why you see him him end up with the Eagles over some of these other guys. Yeah, and his he signed his uh deal a couple years ago. Uh 23. Yeah, so this should be his final year of his yeah, cuz this will be his third year. Yep. So this will be the last year that Rosen is waiver um ineligible. Yeah, so we've seen the Avs try and use that aggressively, as we mentioned with Graves, so we may see some more of that with Rosen this year. They definitely are a team that dances around uh, with these, with with the waiver process, given the way that they claim guys, and, you know, Graves was good last year, so they were like, no, we're not sending him back. Right. We're just keeping him. <laughs> Joe Sackick is the Penguin now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that works. I mean, that'd Close be awesome. <laughs> I'd be all, I'd be all about that. The, but McKinnon's got to be Batman, and then they'd be working together. So, <laughs> okay, I, I think that's a good stopping point for this segment. Before we go <laughs> a little further off of the rails, we're going to come up back next segment and talk again about some of the younger guys. This is going to get more into legitimately young teenage prospects, things like that. Says the CHL has a lot of weird rules, so we'll come back with that. But before we jump into that next segment, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. You already know that Total Beverage has the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado, but now they're delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. Plus, they are now offering CBD products. That's right. From drinks to gummies, you can enjoy CBD products on your next visit. For a limited time, Total Beverage is offering 20% off your purchase on their website and app. Use code BSN20 to save that 20% off and have it delivered to your door. Download the Total Beverage app now. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the BSN Avalanche podcast. I'm Nathan. He's AJ. We are talking a little bit of CBA today. This segment, we're going to talk about ELCs, how to manage them, how they work, especially with the AHL and the CHL connection there. Let's start off with the easy part, which is ELC slides. That is when you sign a player to their contract, but it does not take the year off of their deal. There are a couple of ways that can happen if you want to go into that, AJ. 
Yeah, so we see it most often with 18-year-olds. Yep. Uh, 18-year-olds, they... And this is where the nine-game trial comes into play. Yeah. He gets... You get nine games uh, to just taste the NHL. Teams don't have to worry about it. It does not hurt them in any way financially. ELCs are so cheap, it doesn't matter. And uh, players... Players play nine games or less, and that's it. They go back to their junior team. They go to the AHL. They go to Europe, wherever they go. It's not the NHL is the point. And that ELC then slides to the next year, and you get three. You get the three full years out of the ELC. If you play a tenth game, that triggers the ELC. That's the first. That's considered the first year of that ELC. So, for example, had Martin Kaut played ten games last year then that would have been the first year of his ELC because he did not play 10 games in the NHL last year. He is still on the first year of his ELC. Now with a guy like Kaut, it's interesting because he came over from Europe as an 18-year-old fresh out of the draft. Uh, He is actually eligible again to have his ELC slide again this season. So if Colorado does not, if if he does not play ten or more games with the Avs this year, Cout's ELC will have will have slid two years, and Colorado will essentially be getting a five year ELC out of Cout. We saw uh, Miko Rantanen just finished his ELC, but after four years in North North America, because as an eighteen year old in San Antonio, his ELC slid. He even got a trial. Did it end up being nine games? I forget. It was. Yeah, he got the first six games. Yeah, uh, where he was, he was the left wing next to Carl Soderberg and Borna Rendelich for six games of nightmarish <laughs> hell, and then, and then he goes down to San Antonio and they bring him back up later in the year, and he played three his last three games as the fourth line center because Patrick Waugh just did not want to play Miko Rantanen as a right wing. For right. God knows whatever reason, he just didn't want to do it. And yeah, so there's that's a big part of the slide, just to be clear. Even for other players, North Americans that are playing in the CHL, same thing. If they go back to the CHL before the 10 game mark, it will slide as well. Right. And then same with thing. college, it's a little bit different because they can't technically be paid or professional. So you can't even sign them until it's, right. it's time to play them. That's why uh, all these ELCs that first rounders are signing, uh, at some point you expect the Avs will sign Bowen Byram, but not Alex Newhook. Exactly. Because Newhook is going to play college hockey. Now, if Newhook changed his mind and decided he wanted to go play for Halifax in the queue because they own his rights, uh, they own his CHL rights, then Colorado could sign him to an ELC immediately. Because as soon as he goes to the CHL and he signs one of their player contracts, he's considered compensated and is no longer uh, NCAA eligible. Correct. It's That's a big problem, but maybe one for another podcast, because that's not... Yeah, the NCAA versus the CHL? Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, my God. We have to get the experts on for that one. That would be... <laughs> yeah. Have, have a hardcore college hockey guy and a hardcore CHL guy just go at it for an hour? Oh, that would be entertainment right there. Make it happen. Because <laughs> it's crazy to me that that's an actual, like, battle. Yeah, right. It's a we, problem. At times. We've seen it. Yeah, I mean, we saw AJ Greer was a great example. He didn't yep. like his role playing for the Terriers, uh, so he left and went and joined a Rowena Ronda powerhouse and got top six minutes and enjoyed enjoyed a very fruitful and productive Huskies career. Yeah, uh, and and uh, Kiefer Bellows uh, left uh, college after a year and went and joined the Portland Winterhawks. So, you know, we see these things happen sometimes, but as it relates to what we're talking about in terms of uh, signing ELCs, college kids can't do it. Uh, As soon as they sign an ELC, they're a pro player. Right. So that makes things for college kids pretty simple. Mm -hmm. We mentioned the Euros can come over and play in the AHL at a younger age. As can the college kids, but they have to sign the ELC. Correct. And... There are some weird ones in there, like for Russian kids that that come over and play in the CHL. 
they're usually locked into their CHL team, but for other European leagues, sometimes they get away with the, oh, he was just on loan from our European team, so really he can play in the AHL. Alex Nylander, a great example of that. Yeah. Got drafted in the first round, was considered on loan into his OHL team, uh, and not on an OHL, I guess not on an OHL, like, player contract, but on an actual, like, a loan agreement. And because of that, he was he retained his European player status. He was able to go to the AHL immediately after being drafted instead of having to wait until he was AHL eligible under the uh, AHL-CHL agreement. Right, and, and we're going to get into that here because it is a, a big effect on the NHL as well. Is The rules, the way they're set up with the CHL, is essentially once you've sent that player back, whether it's from the NHL team or wherever... Mm-hmm. they are staying with the CHL team for the rest of the year. The only time when you're allowed to call them back up is in case of emergency. And then even then the CHL team has to agree to it. Yeah. Saw this a few years ago with Vegas. Yeah. The uh, situation. There. Yeah. Where they had, where they were like five goaltenders deep and they called up Dylan Ferguson. Yep. But so th- that's just kind of why the, the nine game test is, is such a big deal because if you go forward with it, you're burning the year. So you're probably going to keep him because you don't want to send him back once you've burned that year and he's just gone forever. We, we saw some complications in the past. Uh, Edmonton has done it to a few players now and it's never a good look for them. I'll put it that way. <laughs> well, it hasn't, it hasn't done, it hasn't done anything for him. Yeah. Edmonton is the ultimate, like, they're such a poorly run organization, honestly. Uh, <laughs> they give, like, all their first-rounders a look in the NHL right away, and then they yep. and then they send them back. Yep. Or they don't. They just keep them. Like, and all their first-rounders. The <laughs> yeah, Evan Bouchard didn't get sent back for a while last year. He played, like, seven games and then hung around for, like, a month. Right. But for the CHRL rule specifically, it's... You have to be 20 years of age by the end of the year. If you're turned 20 on December 31st, you're good. You can play in the AHL that year. If you hit January 1st and you're still 19, that means you cannot play in the AHL. It's either NHL or CHL for you. And where where I think this is interesting and where I would like to see uh, some changes. Yeah. Is there needs, I think, in my opinion, there needs to be some sort of an exemption handed out. I agree. Um, to certain players, because look at Bowen Byram today. Now, Bowen Byram going back to the WHL for one year, I have no issues with. But he goes back there, he destroys the WHL again, and you're like, okay, there's nothing left for him to learn here. But he's going to be joining a very talented Avalanche defense. Maybe the Avalanche don't want to necessarily put him in the NHL right away, it sucks that they have to make the choice between WHL or NHL. There should be an exemption for higher end guys like that. We saw Jonathan Duran uh, was a great example of this because he had nothing left to do in, in, in uh, junior hockey in the, in the queue. There was there was no reason he needed to wait. Yeah, and back to back hundred point seasons, like there was no reason that he needed to do that. And so instead, uh, he had to go and play another year in the queue instead of getting an, an AHL season, which would have been an appropriate step up for him. The same way that Byram uh, next year in the AHL would be an appropriate step up if the Avs wanted to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. It, there's not many every year, but there's usually a handful of players that right. you're saying these guys should be playing pro. You're talking about like kind of like the exceptional status board yeah. uh, that they have in in uh, the CHL where they approve younger players coming in. You know, the Connor McDavid's and the Joe Valeno's, you know, whatever the John Tavares, all these all these young guys who um, apply for exceptional status and, you know, either get it or don't. But there, there should be something like that in that agreement for those guys because you can't make the argument that it's in the best interest of the player for any from any perspective from either side that it does anything but hurt the player because either he goes to the AHL t- or the NHL too soon 
or he goes back to a league that he's already completely dominated and is ready to move on from. And this is not something that would apply to very many guys. This isn't like half the first round is going to suddenly do this, but to a very, very small number of players where, you know, a guy like Bowen Byram, who arguably the best thing for, for him could easily be to play for the Eagles next season and not the not the Giants or the Avs. Right. I, I agree with you there. And and that's a huge, huge advantage for European players right now. And NCAA players. Yeah. It's, it's just a massive difference that you could go straight to the AHL. And in the European case, some of the top-end prospects have been playing professional hockey since they were 16. Right. They already know what it takes to play against men that have filled out and, and what that type of game is like. I mean, again, Martin Kaut, a great example. Yeah. This is a guy that's been playing pro hockey for four years now. Right. It, it's There's a whole lot less projection when you get those guys that you can say, okay, this is what he looks like against men. Yes, there are different things going on, like he has to adjust to the smaller ice, but mm-hmm. from a physical standpoint, you're not looking at, boy, this guy needs to fill out, or how is this physicality going to look against guys that are bigger, faster, stronger? You can already mm-hmm. see that. Yeah, um, I just think uh, I think there should be a process in place to help those guys out. Absolutely, uh, I, to help the CHL kids out who are stuck because you saw like Connor Timmins, by his own luck, would have been in a perfect position because one uh, his his D plus one year he's he goes back to the OHL, he destroys it, no big deal, right? But because his birthday was as such. He was able to go to the AHL last season. Now, obviously, bad luck because he had the concussion and didn't play. But he was able to be there. Right. And had he been healthy, he would have played for the Eagles or the Avs last year. And that's ideal for a guy like that. That's ideal for uh, for for guys on the fast track like that. Yeah, I I agree 100%. Someone like Austin Matthews, who actually did it a year early. Uh, yeah. went over to Europe in his draft year. That's a very specific case. But doing things like that after you're drafted, I think, I'm a little bit surprised a couple more people haven't done that because that's a way you can get out of the CHL and play pro hockey. I'm I'm also surprised. I thought um, the Jack Hughes would have been a perfect contender yeah. for this. Yeah, I thought so too. There was no reason for Jack Hughes to go back to the, the, the development program at all, except just to play with his friends, which... Okay, so we're still talking about teenagers here. I guess his friends were pretty good, though, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But he was like, and that's that's another situation. That's another like ultra specific situation where uh, you're you're talking not going to be something that comes up very often. Uh, has to be a player, uh, an elite player that is just in a, a weird spot. Yeah, and right. Jack Hughes just said, "Nah, I'll make the jump." And he's right now he's online to be the first guy to ever do it. Yeah, exactly. It's you see these guys weaving new paths, which is nice to see, but especially with the CHL, you, you worry a little bit that it's, they need to get with the times there a little bit and and start letting the truly top echelon guys go pro or, or players are going to not want to come there. Right. It's, and it's I get like oh the you know it's good for the league to have them there but it's not all about the league like it's a development right. league yeah you know it should you should be worrying about what's best for the player and their future and not just oh well, the CHL is the best development league in in all of the world or whatever the argument is um, because it should just be about the player it should be about how to right. how to best prepare them for a bigger future because this isn't in no way will this apply to you know the Mississauga's third pairing defenseman who's just there for 4 years and then you know is getting is, is getting uh, university paid for and yeah. that sets him up for you know he's going to go on and be a pharmacist or something like that this, this doesn't apply to that guy right this only applies to the Jonathan Durans and the Bowen Byrams, like yeah. the occasional top, top, top prospect right. who gets stuck because of a birthday. 
it, it doesn't even apply to most of the star players in the league. You're talking about three, four, maybe five players a year here. I I mean, out of this year's draft year, and obviously this year was a weird year because of all the Americans, but uh, I mean, a, Byram is really the only guy that I think it really would apply to this season. Because you look around like Kirby Doc, you can make an easy argument that he, he could use another WHL year. Yeah, I... I mean, I think I could go either way on someone like Doc, but but right. The the point is that it would have very minimal impact, and it would be significantly better for the guys that need it. Yeah, um, I mean, you look at like last year, you you could have Andrei Svechnikov could have gone to the AHL. Yeah, and that would have been just fine for him. You know, Philip Zadina uh, did. And it worked out great for him. Yeah, because he was one of those European guys that was over in the CHL on a loan. Right. And exactly. that was great for him. Like, that's, you know, that was that was the best path for him uh, in, in his organization's opinion. And they had the flexibility to do that. Yep. So it's, it's, it's strange that, like, it's just the CHL kids that are constricted by this like i and i think i think that's something that they should definitely look into changing and again like this isn't a wholesale change this is a very small number of players are getting affected by this right it's and it it does get difficult there because the chl at least in the past has very much stood their ground on this issue and despite the nhl wanting to change it that is a completely different organization of leagues so right it's and, and, like, the only way that you can really force the CHL's hand is to be like, okay, all the top talent's got to bail at the same time. Right. And that's that will not, obviously, that's not going to happen. Of course not, no. Plenty of dudes. There are so many great reasons to go to the CHL and play in the CHL. Uh, but this is this is one of those, like, super small things where it's like, I'd like to see some adjustment there. But... Um, it's funny we're talking about what the CBA has, and we spent most of the segment talking about what it doesn't have. Yeah, well, that's kind of the the conversation that ends up happening, right? It, when yeah. you're getting into the, those negotiations, it's as much what's wrong with it as it is what's missing. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I I think this it's for the most part it's a system that I really like. I yeah. prefer a 19 year old draft for one, but. That'll never um, happen. So, <laughs> well, and I think I think we're actually making some progress on. Uh, I think that there's a chance the draft format changes where it's uh, first round only, right? Yeah, sure. And then maybe you switch over, and it take it'll it'll take a couple of years of moving the birthdays uh, to get you on that on that proper cycle. A <laughs> uh, couple couple of lean draft years at the beginning, yeah. I think. Uh, but it's it's something that the league continues to talk about is switching over to a 19 year old draft uh, where, you know, that it would not be, you know, first round picks, you could still take 18 year olds, but after that you can't. And so then, you know, you once, once you get all the birthdays aligned and it becomes the system, I think it would be a pretty cool idea just because that's one more year of development for all those kids. And then this wouldn't be an issue. Right, you're solving this problem entirely, basically. Right, and well, and and it doesn't change the fact on guys like McDavid, uh, you know, Matthews. It wouldn't it wouldn't change any of that for those those like those guys that you know are going to be superstars in their first round picks because it's still first round. You can still take the eighteen year olds. Right. So it doesn't in any way hurt them, but it helps all the other kids that could use an extra year. And then you're also you're also hopefully lowering the bust rate on right, prospects exactly. rounds two through seven because you get that extra year. And how many times have we seen a guy you know have a great Nick Magyard never gets drafted if they had a 19 year old draft? Not a chance. Yeah. You know, so it's it's changes that I'd like to see them consider over time to not only help. Uh, the kids, you know, and, and get them developed properly, but, you know, improve the quality of the NHL uh, down the road because these guys get better development, you get better players, you get a more exciting league, you get more parity, you have more competitive teams, you make more money, the salary cap goes up more, the players make more money, and the owners make more money, and the fans are happier. 
yeah, at, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? If you come to an agreement on a CBA and it doesn't make the game better, what are you doing? Then why did you come to that agreement? Exactly. Right. That's a great point. A great place to finish this off. Yeah, exactly. It's that's should wrap us up nicely there, I think. And just a little bit of, of info on the CBA. Got a little off course with some fun conversations at times there, but <laughs> yeah. but I think we got to all of the major points that I've seen been cropping up on, on how that could affect things with the possible negotiations coming up. So as always, thank you for listening. We got another good show planned for you tomorrow, so be sure to tune in then, and we will see you there. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado sports network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network.